I wanted to today, Bismillah, what I wanted to talk about, because some things, some issues were raised yesterday and some people brought uh, to my attention some, some of the statements, uh, particularly concerning uh, some of the things that are happening now in the Muslim world. So what I thought I'd do, which relates very much to this idea of our ummah having three maqams. Each one of those maqams have three uh, degrees, uh, nine altogether. So these nine darajat of these three maqams. The first maqam is ba'limun li nafsihi, those who oppress themselves. The second maqam is muqtasidun, those who are practicing moderately their religion in the sense that uh, they, it's not the entire focus of their life. And then there's the sabiqun, sabiqun bir khayrat, and those are the people that really have made their entire existence um, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and really attempting to awaken to the divine in every instant. That's the highest maqam. And that's where he begins. So he has tadalli and then taraqi. He begins by the highest maqam. He descends to the lowest and then he goes from the lowest back up to the highest. So he called his book a tadalli wa taraqi. The point that he's making is there are many ways to be Muslim. Now one of the problems with a lot of Muslims is that they, that highest maqam uh, can actually uh, be, be a delusion. And so you get pathological expressions of religion where people are actually not well and so, so they go into a type of psychosis, like a religious psychosis. One of the interesting things about Psychotics is very often their expression of psychosis is a religious expression. They, they believe that they're having revelation, they think uh, the angels are talking to them, or they think the devils are talking to them, and perhaps they are. But um, that's a very common expression of psychosis. Now, one of the most important works on revolution uh, is the section in Aristotle's politics, he, he discusses the reasons for revolution. And he had a, theories, a theory about what he called stasis, which he felt that, that societies, and, and this comes out of his teacher Plato, who uses, whether it's Plato or Socrates, I mean, there's debate about that, but Socrates in the Republic uses the, uh, a human being in order to attempt to understand justice he relates the human being to the society. So the society has attributes that are very similar to a human being. Uh, it has a head that controls it, like the government. It has arms that defend it, like the soldiers. It has a stomach that sustains its nourishment, like the merchants. So he uses these to describe the shahawat and the quwwat ghadabiyyah, irascible soul, the concupiscent soul, and then the rational soul, what, what Imam al-Ghazali called the sage soul, the dog soul, and the pig soul. Um, and, but one of the things that he says is that uh, societies like human beings get sick. So you can have a fever in a society. A society can come, become feverish. And, and he said that what maintains the health of a society is brotherly love. Which is very interesting because one of the most important things in the Prophet's message was to 
أفشوا السلام بينكم you know, لا, لا, لا تؤمنوا حتى تحبوا you, know, you don't love that you haven't really achieved what the purpose of faith is until you love one another and then he said ألا أدلكم علشان إذا فعلتموه تحاببتم you know, can I tell you something that if you did it you'll start loving one another أفشوا السلام بينكم spread peace amongst you Our greeting is a greeting of peace. As-salamu alaykum. That's a Muslim greeting. As-salamu alaykum. Um, and, and so the idea of spreading peace in a society is so that the society, because salam, salamat al-jasad is, is health. The Arabs call being health al-jasadu salim, right? Al-aqad al-salim fil jasad al-salim. The Arabs say a healthy mind in a healthy body. So the word they use for health is salim. Because wholeness is health. And so peace is when things are working holistically. War is when there's antagonism. Either from outside, like bacteria that invade the body, and then the body fights to protect itself from these foreign invaders. Or inside where the actual body begins to break down. So societies and bodies share a lot of um, analogous uh, aspects. Now, one of our great uh, scholars, and he was the last Sheikh of Islam in the Ottoman Empire. His name was Sheikh Mustafa Sabri. He had a huge influence on uh, uh, some of the well-known scholars uh, of the 20th century. Um, he, he was uh, a brilliant man. I mean, I, I would argue really, really... One of, one of the brilliant minds that our ummah has generated. He, he lived uh, in, in Istanbul. He was from a small city uh, in, in Turkey. He was in the inner workings of uh, the Ottoman Empire, which the, the, the ulama were. So he was a mufti, he was Sheikh al-Islam. But he experienced the secularization of Turkey and he described these events. And then he experienced the breakdown of the Turkish uh, nation from within, right? So this is the, the breakdown of the social body and from without. So the, uh, the bacterias and viruses, usually ideological or violent, that, that uh, invade the body. But one of the things that really struck me uh, in, in this book that he wrote which is a four-volume work, موقف العقل والعلم والعالم. And in it, he tries to refute a lot of the materialism that he was seeing emerging. So we think materialism is a recent problem with uh, Dawkins and, and Christopher Hitchens. And materialism goes back to the Greeks. The Greeks were uh, debating whether everything was material or whether there was a spiritual component to the universe. This is an ancient debate between materialism and the idea that we're more than just matter. Ancient debate. But materialism became very, very widespread in the 20th century. It arose out, I mean, it begins probably with, in some ways uh, with, within the Christian tradition, the reemergence of it. Uh, although we had our, our materialists, and Ibn uh, al-Jawzi in his extraordinary book, Talbisu Iblis, The Terbisu uh, Iblis is how the devil deludes you. So uh, 
delusions of the devil. It's the way يُلَبِّسَ alaykum that he uh, pulls the wool over your eyes. Uh, in Talvisu Iblis, he has a chapter called the chapter of the naturalists and how Iblis has fooled the naturalists thinking that everything is materialism. So this is not new. I mean, this is the, the, that was almost a thousand years ago he's writing this book. So even within the Muslim community, we had materialists. We had people arguing for materialism. So this is always going to be uh, a debate. Are we matter? Are we... Uh, Spiritual, or are we a mixture of both? The hylomorphic view that most of the uh, Abrahamic faiths took is that we're an admixture of these two, of the world and the other world, of the, of the, the animal kingdom and of the angelic realm, this joining of the two, the spiritual and the material. So um, anyway, he writes in here, and this is what I thought was very uh, interesting. Uh, um, he, one of the things he says uh, is that he talks about the philosophy that was spreading uh, around at, at his time, um, the materialism. Um, So he says, um, he says that it's, here I'll just read it here. فَيَجِبُ عَلَىٰ عُلَمَاءِ الْإِسْلَامِ رَفْعَ التُّهْمَةِ عَنَ الدِّينِ تُهْمَةَ كَوْنَ الْأَغْنِيَاءِ يُحَافِظُونَ عَلَىٰ طَبَقَاتِهِمْ الْمُمْتَازَةِ فِي ظِلِّ حِمَايَةَ الدِّينِ مَعَ حِرْمَانَ الْفُقَرَاءِ عَنْ هَذِي الْحِمَايَةِ مَحْكُومِينَ عَلَىٰ الصَّبْرِ والسكون وممنوعين عن التواصل بالقوة إلى حقوقهم المضيعة وهذا التفريق بالنفع والضرر على الرغم من أن الدين إن كان باقيا في هذا الزمان فعند غير الطبقات العليا يجب على علمائنا رفع التهم عن الدين تهمة الظلم على الفقراء وعلى نفسه في خذلان أنصاره ونصر غير الناصرين لأنصاره بأن يسد النصحة المتواصلة إلى المترفين ويقول الإسلام الذي يصونكم من الثورة جعل في أموالكم حقا للفقراء وإن لم تؤدوه عن طيب نفس وتدعوهم في بأسائهم فلا يحتملها الزمان إن احتملوها وإن كانت نتيجة عدم الاحتمال خسارة الثائرين مع المثور عليهم وانتفاع غيرهما من تجار مبادئ العصرية الهدامة الماهرين ثم يرفع العقيرة لإيقاظ المترفين عن نومهم المقيم على الشفاء جرف خطر يدهمهم في الدنيا قبل الآخرة من قبر مواطنيهم الذين يبيتون في ظلامين من الجهل والليل ويظلون على جمرتين من حرارة الشمس وحم الأمراض ويربسون الأسمال ويشربون الأوحال التي لا يسوغ شربها لذة أو طبا I mean, this is a really stunning, uh, that he wrote this in 1946. So he says, it's absolutely necessary for the scholars of Islam to remove this accusation about our religion. The accusation that it is a tool in the hands of the rich to defend their social status uh, in the shade 
of the protection of religion while at the same time depriving the poor people uh, from their uh, rights and demanding that they simply be patient and that they not do anything to change their conditions and that they that that they are prohibited from establishing through force their rights that are due to them. Now remember that he's living at a time when Marxism was spreading like wildfire in the Muslim Ummah. So this is a very Marxist uh, interpretation, but it's, it's still being used, this idea of uh, religion suppressing the poor people and forcing them just to bear the slings and arrows of tyranny so that the rich class can live in their bubble. But he says that despite the fact that the religion is, if, if it remains at all in this time, it remains amongst the, the, the poorest classes more than the wealthy classes. And then he says, it is absolutely necessary for our scholars to remove these accusations of the religion, the accusation that it oppresses poor people, that, uh, and, and the fact that it has failed, uh, the, 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 to help them, and, uh, and that it, it only helps those, uh, that are opposed to them, and give constant advice to the mutrafin, the extravagant people in our communities, who say, and say to them, Islam is what protects you from revolution. But, it has also put a right in your wealth for the poor people. If you do not give this right to the poor people with contentment, and you leave them in their wretchedness, the time won't bear this problem, even if they bear it. In other words, it's going to blow up at a certain point. So he's saying the ulama have to warn these wealthy people that this is for your own protection. You need to stop oppressing people because even if they're patient as their religion commands them to, at a certain time, the time itself will force these circumstances to erupt. I mean, this, this is a really important message. And then he says, despite the fact that the result of their not bearing these tribulations will be the loss of the revolutionaries as well as those who they rebel against. Everybody's a loser in this. And the only people that will benefit from it are those people that are spreading these modern destructive ideas against religion that they're so clever at using. They're mahirin at this. So they look at religion. Here's your religion. Look what it does. It's just a destructive force. It's no good. This is amazing advice. Then he says, if they don't, if, if these people don't wake up from their sleep, these mutrafin, and, not, and realize that they're on the precipice of a very dangerous pit that will encompass their dunya before their akhirah, it's going to darken their dunya before their akhirah, from their own citizens, the ones who are sleeping in two darknesses, the darkness of ignorance and the darkness of night. Wearing worn out clothes and living in, on, the, on, the, on the coals 
of the heat of the sun and the, the, the fever of their, their sicknesses. Drinking a bitter draught that neither pleasure uh, uh, allows or even medicinally. It's not even, sometimes you take something bitter because it's medicinal, but what they're drinking isn't even medicinally bitter. And he said, this is why I wrote this book. Because when I left, he says, وَفِي آخِرِ كَرِمَةِ إِلَى الْقُرَّاءِ الْكِرَامِ أُلَخِّصُ مَا بَعَثَنِي عَلَى التَّأْلِيفِ هَذَا الْكِتَابِ مِمَّا رَأَيْتُ فِي مَصْرَى الَّتِي آوَتْنِي بَعْدَ مُغَادَرَةِ بِلَادِي فَأَصْبَحَتْ بَرَدًا مِنْهَا يَعْنِينِ مَا يَعْنِيهَا مِنْ خَيْرٍ أَوْ شَرٍ وَيَتَحَتَّمُ عَلَيَّ أَنْ أَخْدُمَهَا بِمَا يَتَوَقَّعُ مَنْ مِثْلِي شَيْخًا مِنْ مَشَايِخِ الْإِسْلَامِ حَنَّكُهُ الزَّمَانِ وَلَمْ يَفُتَّ فِي عَضُدِي مَا لَقِيَهُ مِنْ الشَّدَائِدِ فِي سَبِيلِ الْمُصَارَحَةِ بِكَرِيمَةِ الْحَقِّ والصدق التي تكون على الأكثر مرة مع تنقيب في درس مسائل العلوم المتعلقة بحياة الإسلام العلمية النافعة في صيانتها من تيار الإلحاد الحديث فأقول إن دولة الترك المسلمة التي دفاعها بسيفه عن حياض الإسلام ضد أعدائه يستغرق ثلثين من تاريخه وتندرج في ذلك عند التحقيق أدوار الحروب الصلبية الموجهة إلى البلاد الإسلامية المنتهية, المنتهية بنسبة إلى تلك الأدوار في ردها على أعقابها هذه الدولة كان آخر سلاح سلاح حربتها به الدول الوارثة لضغائن تلك الحروب نشر الإلحاد القائم على العلوم والمبادئ المادية بين أبنائه المثقفين ونشر المبادئ القومية بين العناصر المندرجة تحت لوائها وقد وجد أول هذين السلاحين عونا للأعداء في قلب تركيا فكان استعمارهم كفتح الحصن من داخله كما وجد السلاح الثاني رواجا عظيما في أطراف تركيا So he says, I'm writing this book because I came to Egypt. He was, he was actually put on trial for death uh, during the secular, the first secular regime here after the fall of the caliphate. He was put on trial for death. The judge could not bring himself to give him the death penalty because he said, I, I, I don't feel justified in killing this man who is simply living according to his principles and speaking the truth that he believes. And he's, he's done nothing other than that. And so he said, but we exile him. So he was exiled to Greece. He wrote a letter. This is Sheikh al-Islam, right? This is the highest position that a, a scholar could hold in the Ottoman Empire. He goes to Greece, he writes a letter, and, he, and, and in that letter, he, he just says, I am Mustafa Sabri, Sheikh al-Islam, and I'm asking any Muslim country to take me as a refugee or as a guest, because I have no country, now I'm in Greece and I don't want to die in a non-Muslim land. <laughs> so some Egyptian uh, man working in the uh, embassy got wind of this, and he said, I might lose my job, but I, I, he said, what would Christian countries do if the, if the Pope was kicked out of Italy? You know, they wouldn't take him in. Like, this is a disgrace for us that, that this man is, has no country. So he was taken to Egypt, and he began to teach there, but what he said is he was distraught by seeing in Egypt the very things that he had witnessed in Turkey. He thought Egypt, he said, he thought the lands of the Arabs would be different, but he said he found in some ways it was worse and, and he actually says that they forget that this Turkish 
this Turkish daula, you know, that was it was rooted in the Turks, but it was never a, a nationalistic uh, civilization. This, he said, they spent two thirds of their history fighting the enemies of Islam, protecting the the, bound, the borders of Islam. This was their civilization. It was protecting and expanding uh, the Muslim uh, uh, protection. Because even the Christian, the Protestants, after the Protestant Revolution, many of them migrated to uh, countries that were held by the Ottomans. Because the Ottomans didn't distinguish between Catholics and Protestants. So they could get out of persecution by going to places like Transylvania, which had the Edict of Toleration based on the Muslim uh, idea of tolerating other religions. And we know John Locke was influenced by, by, by Edward Pocock, who was a student of the Ottoman system. And the, the letter, uh, his letter on toleration was inspired by the Muslim toleration of, of, uh, of this millet system. So he says that he found two weapons that they used. The first weapon was materialism, to make people think that religion was superstition and, and a foolish thing to believe. And, and he said their, their, their tools for doing this became very powerful with a lot of the material sciences that they developed. But the second tool that they used was nationalism. So he said to destroy Turkey from within, they, they used materialism. But to destroy uh, Turkey from without, they used nationalism. So that the, the places where the Turks were protecting, like Palestine, suddenly the people in Palestine saw the Turks as occupiers. And people forget that Arabs fought against the Turks. They allied with the British and fought against the Turks. And the British promised them all these things. And much of what we're suffering now is from the betrayal of Muslims of that time. So these are the effects, and nobody wants to deal with what really happened. They just want to blame everybody else. You know, it's all somebody else's fault. But unfortunately, we inherit the troubles of the past. We inherit them. The only country that didn't, of the Arab states that were under, the only one that didn't break their ties was the Libyans. They were the only one, which is why the, the Turks really loved the Libyans. In 1958, King Idris came here and actually restored the maqam of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari. There's a big plaque there, 1958. A plaque that says that he came, he saw that it was in disarray because it was a period where they weren't really respecting these places as much anymore. And he redid it. But then the Libyans in their Thawra Thawra, Iblis wala Idris, with their slogan, give us Iblis and not Idris, they overthrew a man who used to do night prayers. And I know this because I know somebody who knew him personally very well. Uh, Mustafa bin Halim, who was his ambassador to Italy who told me that he was one of the most pious people he knew. This was the man that was ruling their country. They overthrew him, Iblis wa Idris, they got Iblis, and, and then they overthrew this guy, you know, and now there's a thousand Iblises. And this is, this is what revolution, this is what he's saying. Everybody loses. Everybody loses. So we have to understand these things at a deeper level, and not be fooled by slogans. One of the things that the Prophet ﷺ said, that towards the end, he said, there's going to be sununa khada'a. There will be years of deception. al 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 
the, the treasonous one will be considered trustworthy. And the trustworthy one will be called a treasonous one. The one telling the truth will be deemed a liar. And the one being called, uh, 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 the, the liar will be called a truthful one. This is what our Prophet warned us. So we have to be vigilant about what's being done to us as a, a community. The Muslims, the, you know, our natural allies should be the Christians amongst this materialism. But there are people that want to make sure the Muslims and the Christians never... This is the Iago factor. Shakespeare's play about, uh, about Iago, Santiago Matamoros. He was called Saint Iago, the Moor killer. He was the Spanish patron saint of killing Muslims. And Shakespeare did this play with uh, a, a Moor, Othello, Uqayl, it's an Arabic name, Othello, and, and Desdemona, the European and the Moor, coming together in a marriage. But Iago saying, no, we're not going to let this happen. Some people say that this was because Mansur al-Dahabi, the great Moroccan, sent his ambassador, Abdul Wahid al-Fasi, uh, in, in, in uh, 1600, he sent him to Queen Elizabeth's court to convince uh, the Protestant Christians to ally with the Moroccan Muslims against Spain. So the Spanish, Iago, that's why he calls him Iago, because he's Spanish, Santiago. The Spanish didn't want this alliance to happen because uh, Mansour wanted to arrest the Americas from the Spanish and, and have Muslims and, uh, and English um, take, take over from the Spanish. This was the idea. Um, but he died in 1603. So uh, it didn't come from that. But anyway, the point is, is there, there are people that don't want these religions to work together against the common enemy of atheism and materialism. These are much greater enemies. Christians believe in the Day of Judgment. They believe in the Ten Commandments. Our, our ethics is based on the Ten Commandments. Read the Ali Imran, right? 151, 152, 153. Read those verses. That's the Ten Commandments. Those are the Ten Commandments in the Quran, which our ulama said those are the wasayil ashara lati utiya Musa. And immediately after those verses, it said, Atayna Musa al Kitab. We gave Musa the book. This was Musa's. Musa brought the Ten Commandments. This was the, 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 the ethics of our civilization. The Jewish, the Christian, and the Muslim civilization. These are the Abrahamic faiths. We're in the umbrella of Abraham. The two greatest religions on the planet, Islam and Christianity, share the Ten Commandments. And now the Ten Commandments are being completely eradicated. There's a, a website, Ashley Madison. Life is short, have an affair. It has 37 million followers. And it's a, a website that promotes adultery. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's valued at a billion dollars. This is destroying our civilization. This is Iblis destroying our civilization. And then mocking God. God will not be mocked. You know? The mockers of God. We don't want, the Christians don't want God mocked. We don't want God mocked. But the people don't want these, these alliances of virtue. The Prophet said, Islam. I was called to an alliance in Jahiliyyah. If I was called to it in Islam, I would respond. In other words, if people from some other faith said, let's ally for virtue, 
then I would ally with them. So, now, revolution happens. And clearly what he said, لا يحتمل الزمان وإن احتملوا Time sometimes will not bear it, even if the people do. In other words, it, it just happens, it erupts, and it's fitna. And this is why he was warning the mutarafin, stop oppressing people, because people can only take so much, and then yathurun. But Islam is a regulating mechanism of our nafs al-amara, it's supposed to control the nafs al-amara, right? This is part of Islam. But people say, oh, that you're just the opiate of the masses. So instead of the opiate of religion, let's just give them real opium to, to bear their troubles. You know, because it used to be uh, the African-American community survived in America through slavery with religion. That's what they did. The blues was all religious originally. It was swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. You know, there's a greater day coming that we're going to get you know, we're going to get our day on the Day of Judgment. There, there are, there are African-American Muslim uh, tombstones in America with the finger like this of Muslims. We have many, because there were many of them were Muslim. One-fifth of the slaves were Muslim. And they have, they have this. In other words, they died despite being enslaved by people, still believing. There's a Day of Justice. There's Adala, Yom Al-Qiyamah. We believe in Yom Al-Qiyamah. So you might have 60 years of oppression, you're going to have an infinity of justice. And so this, this is whether you believe or not, this is the real deal. Do you believe this promise or not? Because if you want to change things in the world by making things worse, then you're a fool and causing untold suffering on other people. And this is why our ulama were very opposed to revolution. Not because they didn't think that oppression was wrong or they were trying to keep the oppressors in power. That's not. Because they saw it from a metaphysical perspective first and foremost that this is an ibtila from Allah. لِيَبْلُوكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ amala. That, you know, when I said yesterday some religions say life is suffering. We don't say that. Because some people have lives without any suffering. Really, they have perfect health, they wealth, friends, they live in very good times. And, but, all of life is a ibtila. And this is the difference between our religion and their religion. Suffering is a ibtila and pleasure is an ibtila. They're both ibtila. لِيَبْلُوكُمْ بِالْغِنَاءَ أَوْ بِالْفَقَرَ marad أَوْ بِالصِّحَّةَ Health is, an, is a tribulation. Because what are you doing with your health? Sickness is a tribulation. How are you responding to the sickness? This is our religion. But if you remove metaphysics, if you remove God from the world, then the world makes no sense at all. And then, yeah, you should fight and just, you know, tear everything down to get your justice if that's what it takes. But if you believe, Allahumma qulillahumma malik al-mulk, tu'ti al-mulk man tasha, wa tanzi' al-mulk mimman tasha, if you believe that, say it to them, O oh Allah, Malik al-Mulk, the one who really possesses all dominion. You give this contingent dominion to whom you please. And you take it away from whom you please. And this is why when there was a revolution in Medina, they asked Malik about it. He said, if 
the one being revolted against is like Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, then help, uh, help protect him. If he's not, then da'a ظَالِمًا يَنْتَقِمُ اللَّهُ مِنْهُ بِظَالِمٍ Then let Allah take vengeance on one oppressor with another oppressor. <laughs> that's, how Ma- that's, how, that's, that's how Malik viewed it. Like, they're both oppressors. He's an oppressor for rebelling against him, but he's an oppressor for creating conditions that people wanted to rebel against him. So just... Let him duke it out because Allah is an muntaqim. They saw God. And, and God's been removed from the scenario. And it's all Marxism. People have no idea how much Marxist thought has penetrated the Islamic, modern Islamic tradition. They have no idea. Most of these guys, Khalid, Muhammad Khalid was a Marxist before he became Muslim. Sayyid Qutb was a Marxist before he became uh, Muslim. He was a Marxist. I mean, read his early history. He was a Marxist. But, and they brought in these ideas. Ali Shariati went to Sorbonne, studied Marxist thought. And they brought all that. They said, oh, this is Islam. Abu Dhar, he was the... He was the look at Abu Dhar, he was fighting for the poor people. And, and so they started framing Islam into this framework of Marxist thought. But who is Marx? A man who hated God, who had boils on his bottom... His adult life. Seriously, he couldn't sit down. He was always in pain. He hated God. <laughs> he was also uh, he, 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 he was also a total racist. I've read his letters to Engels about the Algerians and how ape-like the Arabs were. You know, <laughs> the great German Marx. So th- this is the reality of it. And it's not to say that Marx's criticism doesn't have some validity. I'm not denying. That, you know, I'm I'm not uh, that stupid, but it it the criticism is entirely predicated on atheism, because God has there's no ibtila here, there's just oppress oppression and oppressed. So the oppressed have no metaphysical view of their like what is this? It's an ibtila. That's how we view it. It's an ibtila. How do you respond to it? What's the best way to respond to it? And that's where the challenge comes. So Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya, who uh, is my teacher, and I, I believe, you know, he, traditionally they, they call it Sahibu Zaman. You know, Sahibu Zaman is the man of his age. Like Abu Hamad al-Ghazali was the man of his age. He was Sahibu Zaman. Right? Sahibu Zaman yafutu kathiran min al-ulama fi, fi asrihi. Many of the ulama miss them. They don't see them. Because they have hasad, uh, because they يستغني بعلمه عن غيره غنينا بينا عن كل من سوانا وإن كثرت أوصافه ونعوته فإن جان فمرحبا بمجيئه وإن فاتنا وإن فات وإن فاتنا فيكفي فيكفيه أن نفوته you know this is the <laughs> that's they call that فخر in the Arabic tradition you know like غنينا بينا we're we're rich in ourselves we don't need anybody else. You know, uh, and Imam Shafi'i has abyat like that because it's, you know, Imam Shafi'i was a mushtahid mutlaq. He didn't need somebody else. But you can miss the time. Like Abu Bakr al-Tortushi, one of the great Maliki scholars, a student, uh, a teacher of Qadi Abu Bakr ibn al-Arabi, Fatahu Abu Hamad al-Ghazali. He missed him. He wrote books against him. 
Imam al-Mazidi, one of the greatest Usuri scholars of the Maliki tradition, Fatuhu Abu Hamid, he missed him. He was a, a, a you know, he missed him. So people miss the people of their time. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah, in my estimation, Sahibu Zaman, I haven't seen anybody that, that has his encyclopedic knowledge of our tradition as well as knowing the age he lives in. He wrote a book called Tanbih al Maraja' Ala Ta'seel Fiqh al Waqi' for one of a better translation uh, Awakening to the Reference Points. Awakening to the Reference Points Concerning the Foundation of Pragmatic Jurisprudence or the Jurisprudence of Reality. And what he's arguing in there is that our ulama were pragmatists. They were not idealists. That idealism is always the domain of zealots. Zealots are always idealists. They want the ideal world. They want to eliminate evil. They want to make sin illegal. This is their goal, to, to, to create paradise on earth. This is the Marxist dream to create paradise on earth once we get rid of all the evil capitalists once we establish equality amongst the masses there's no equality some people are more attractive than other people some people are more eloquent than other people right so we know in the united states that tall people will get jobs before short people allah says in the quran about why they made him king allah said we gave him knowledge and height and people vote for tall politicians over short politicians. This is social science. And Allah says that in the Quran, one of the reasons that he was made king was because he was taller than everybody else. I once realized the great blessing, because I'm average height. I mean, I, I, in Turkey, I'm kind of tall, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I was once in, in, on Hajj, and a group of Malaysian Hajis went past me, and I was like two heads above the whole group. <laughs> And I, I, I felt what it must feel like to be tall. <laughs> yeah. I think Will Chamberlain, who was over seven feet tall, they used to ask him, how's the weather up there? And he would spit and say, it's raining. <laughs> so you can be too tall, where it becomes a little freakish. Um, but anyway, I, was, I saw a car accident once. And the guy, this guy, short man with a kind of one of those... Uh, what they call wife beaters in America, you know, very strong arms. He got out of his car. He was so angry and he started headed to this car. And I knew, I thought this is going to be a fight because it was the other guy's fault. The other guy got out and he was so tall. He was like twice as tall as this guy. And suddenly the guy starts smiling, <laughs> you know. And so there's a great blessing in having just height, you know. It is. Uh, and one of, the, one of the things about the Prophet is nobody ever appeared taller than him. That was one of his miracles. Even though he was of middle stature, everything about the Prophet is, is middle. He had wavy hair. It wasn't short. It wasn't kinky. He, he was uh, of moderate stature. Right? Um, his skin was neither pasty white nor was it dark. It was a, a middle. It was like the, the harvest moon. It had a kind of uh, uh, reddish tone to it, what they call um, you know, he, he was azhar alone. He had, so he had a middle tone everything about him was, was uh, so he was of middle height but the, whoever was with him never appeared to be taller than him 
He always, and, and they know that people of stature will always appear to be taller um, because stature gives height. So he says, uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya, who wrote this book, Tanbih al-Muraja, which is one of his most important books in my estimation. Um, this was a footnote in the book. He says, إن مسألة تغيير المنكر في هذه الأزمنة أصبحت في معظمها تتعلق بتغيير الحكام بما يسمى بالوسائل السلمية التي لا تلبث أن تتحول إلى صدام وفي بيئة غير سلمية يترام فيها شرر الكلام لتشعل نار الحروب ولهذا كان للأمر بالمعروف والنهي عن المنكر شروط فقد روى أسامة بن زيد رضي الله عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا ينبغي لأحد أن يأمر بالمعروف حتى يكون فيه ثلاث خصال عالما بما يأمر عالما بما ينهى رفيقا فيما يأمر رفيقا فيما ينهى أخرجه الخلال الخلال أبو بكر الخلال was a, a great Hanbali muhaddith and scholar um, and he uh, took the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, but he had his own addition. So he's, he's a thiqa in, in uh, hadith. So he says, this question of changing munkar in the times, these times that we're living in has become in many ways related to this idea of changing the rulers. So the idea that we, in order to change the, the, what's the vice in our cultures, we have to get rid of the rulers. This is, this is a very common belief amongst many modern Muslims. And it's, it's, it's said to do so with peaceful means, right? Like democracy, so we can vote them out if we don't like them. But it quickly can change into conflict, khidam, clashes. Especially in environments that are not peaceful in the first place. And words, the sparks of words will be thrown about and they will actually ignite the flames of war. And for this reason, Amr bin Ma'ruf, enjoining virtue and forbidding vice, has conditions. Usama ibn Zayd, may Allah be pleased with both of them, said that the Prophet said, it is inappropriate that anybody who commands to good uh, should not do so until he has three, uh, these qualities. That he knows, he's a alim of, of what he's calling to, and, and, and a, a, a scholar of what he's prohibiting, and he's also gentle in his call and gentle in his prohibition. This is from Abu Bakr al-Khallal. And he says, through inductive reasoning, through looking at the particulars of all of these texts that we have, istiqra'an, للنصوص والمقاصد, ذكر العلماء خمسة شروط. Our ulama have mentioned five conditions for Amr bin Ma'ruf and Nahi an al-Munkar. Five. There are five conditions. أن يكون الأمر عارفا بحكم ما ينكره. That the one commanding should know the ruling of what he's commanding. In other words, is it wajib? Is it mandub? Is it mubah? Is it khilaf al-awla? Is it uh, ja'iz? Is it uh, mubah and ja'iz are pretty much the same. There's a, there is a distinction. وَأَنْ يَكُونَ أَمْرًا Because the makru goes under the ja'iz also. So that's a distinction. Because the ja'iz contains mubah and makru. 
وأن يكون أمرا مجمعا عليه أو قريبا من المجمع عليه and that what you're commanding has to be an agreed upon thing and not something that there's difference of opinion or at least qariban min al-mujma'i alayhi so when there's very little difference of opinion then it's permiss- permitted to condemn it now this is idha ammat al-balwa you have different ahkam when things become widespread uh, then changing it would lead to a fitna greater than the thing itself so if you have a makhraj or something like that Um, so the, these again, these are what the fuqaha and the ulama uh, worry about. فَالْمُخْتَلَفُ فِيهِ لَا حِسْبَةَ That in which there is difference of opinion, there's no hispa. Hispa is the, uh, is the social regulation of uh, vice. So the muhtasib is, is the, the one who is in the society, prevent, it's a type of, it's like a... Uh, It's a type of religious police, really, in classical Muslim societies. Today, it's probably closer to what's, what they call the ombudsman. You know, it's these people that don't, don't you know, they, they interact between the government and between the people to try to uh, create better conditions and things like that. But anyway, the hisba, he said, if it's muhtarafi, there's no hisba in it. There's no muhtasib. And we know that women fulfilled this role also. Sayyidina Umar had shafa or shifa. Um, she was the muhtasiba of the suq in Medina. So she would go around and check. What they used to do, she, used to, she had a stick. She would go, and if they were displaying dates, she would look under to make sure the dates under were as good as the dates over. Because one of the things, if you buy uh, strawberries or something, they always put the big giant ones on the top, but underneath you'll find the small ones. This is a type of khuda'ah, uh, you know, it's like uh, tricking you. Because you look at it and you go, oh, that looks, and you get it, but then you find underneath it, you got tricked, or they're, or they're not ripe, or something. So this, this was, she regulated the weights and measures. She would go in with her own weights and put them on the scales to make sure that they weren't uh, cheating with their weights. Because sometimes they would shave off to give less, right? إِذَا كَالُوا يَسْتَوْفُونَ وَإِذَا وَزْرُونَ Right, either kalua was an ohum yuxirun. You know, when they, when they when they when they weigh for themselves, they want the full measure. But when they themselves weigh for others, they stint them. Don't diminish what idakhtalo. Uh, so uh, so he says here, And then the third one, so the, that's the first is that he knows the ruling. The second is that it's agreed upon. The third, وَأَنْ يَكُونَ ظَنًّا That he believes there's a benefit. ظَن, in, in usul, you have yaqeen, you have ظَن, you have shak, and you have waham. Yaqeen is absolute certainty. You're certain, beyond a reasonable doubt. Right? You're certain. That's why in Western legal system, uh, felonies, you, you, the bar is much higher than in civil court. Right? When you're, when you're dealing with penal, especially murder, they have a very high bar in order for uh, there to be no doubt. So it's beyond any reasonable doubt. You have to really be certain that the person did it. If there's a reasonable doubt, you can't convict them. Even, even, even if, it, you know, it's pretty obvious he did it, but you don't have absolute certainty. There's, there's, There's a makharaj. So dhan is when it's more like the civil. The yaqeen is certain. 
beyond a reasonable doubt. Vaughn is like civil court, where it's 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 pretty obvious. How how do you what what did? Yeah, more likely than not. So it's propensity. So in the, we have a lawyer in the audience. So yeah. So th- this this is what Vaughn is. It's it's the propensity um, that now. There's a there's another which is ghadibavan, which is where it's really close to beyond a reasonable doubt, but it's not there. So it's 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 a higher bar. So there's a khilaf that do you have to believe the benefit in commanding is the propensity is there, or is it fairly certain, but not certain? I was fairly certain, but not certain. There's a khilaf. Imam uh, Ahmed has two narrations. So, uh, so وَعَنْ أَحْمَدَ رِوَايَتَانِ فِي غَرَبَةَ الظَّنِ إِحْدَاهُمَا لَا يَجُوزُ So in one of them, it's not permitted if, if you just have ظَن. You have to have a sound. إِذَا لَمْ يَغْلِبْ عَرَى ظَنِّهِ وَالْأُخْرَى يَجِبُ ذَكَرُهُمَا أَبُوْ يَعْلَى أَبُوْ يَعْلَى ابن الفَرَّاءِ is one of the great Hanbali giants. Uh, Imam Dhahabi said that he, he really... The madhab of furu' is, he's the one that set the, the stage for the, the madhab of the, of the furu' of the Hanbali school. Uh, brilliant and very important scholar early. Um, I think he dies in, in, the, in, the, in the early, maybe mid uh, 5th century. And then, and then, He has no fear that he's going to be harmed, or his wealth and property will be destroyed, or somebody else will be harmed in doing it, or their wealth or property will be destroyed. This is a condition of Amr bin Ma'ruf and Nahi an al Munkar. And that it doesn't lead to a vice greater than the one that you're actually condemning. In that case, it's haram. So if it leads to the death of the one uh, commanding or forbidding without any benefit hoped from it, then it's not permissible. لا ينبغي لمؤمن أن يذل نفسه قال كيف يذل نفسه قال يتعرض من البلاء لما لا يطيق وحديث عبد الله بن عباس إذا رأيتم أمرا لا تستطيعون غيره فاصبروا حتى يكون الله يغيره وروى سعيد بن جبير قال قتلي بن عباس أمر السلطان بن معروف وأنهاه عن المنكر فقال إن خفت على إن خفت أن يقتلك فلا ثم عدت فقال لي مثل ذلك وقال إن كنت لا بد فاعلا فما بينك وبينه the amazing statement of Ibn Abbas so he says that and the same is true if it will lead to fighting amongst people. And the hadith that Hudayfa relates, a mu'min, the Prophet ﷺ said, the mu'min should never humiliate himself. And they said, how would a mu'min humiliate themselves? And he said, by exposing himself to a tribulation that he can't bear. Wa hadith ibn Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas, 
said, if you see something that you're unable to change it, be patient until Allah changes it. And Sa'id ibn Jubair, one of the great tabi'een, um, and he was killed by Hajjaj because he spoke the truth to Hajjaj. He was killed by Hajjaj. And he actually said, I'm the last one you're going to kill. Uh, he was one of the righteous people. He said, you won't kill anybody after me. And Hajjaj laughed. He died right after that. And, uh, but Sa'id asked Ibn Abbas, can I command the Sultan? Right? Can I tell him he, sh- he should be doing this and not doing that? And Ibn Abbas said, not if he's going to kill you. And then I asked him again, and he said the same thing to me. But then he added, if you have to do it, it's between you and him. In other words, you know, he, that's a kash from Ibn Abbas. Like he just saw Sa'id was, was going to do it. But it's done in private. There's a whole, because Sa'id was a alim. <laughs> Don't kill yourselves. Allah says, don't kill yourselves. لَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسُكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِكُمْ رَحِيمًا Allah is merciful with you. He's not asking you to kill yourselves, blow yourselves up. This is not our religion. لَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَ Don't throw your souls to destruction. Allah went into creating each one of you. I want you to think about this. From the time, we're all related. Every single person in here, at some point in our lives, we have... Uh, a mother and then maybe a father or at the same time mothers and fathers we're all cousins at some point in human history every single person in this room is related to the other person we don't know at which point some of the Husseinis or the Hassanis that are here you could find out if you just looked at your Ashjar because they all go back to the same people everybody's related from the time of the first two human beings Adam and Eve your parents because you have a line Two, right? Two parents, and then, and then the next two, and then the next two, and then the next... All the way up to today. All those parents that gave birth to you, right? And each one of our parents had four. So it's a very mysterious thing, right? It goes all the way out, and then it goes back in. Because we're all little sections of a massive spreading out. Each one of us is a section. If you did it visually, it would be very beautiful to see it. Because you can see it goes like this, but it actually it's going like this. But for us, so it, it's, it's like inverted and then the opposite direction. Every single one of your parents had to survive childhood illnesses, pregnancy, childhood illnesses, w- sickness, plagues, wars. They had to have enough food to eat. They had to also not be infertile. And the vast majority of them married because that was the sunnah of, of... Maybe some people had rape because of the wars and pillages. So, you know, a lot of people... That's why the Prophet, one of his miracles is there was no fornication in any of his ancestors. He said, I am the son of marriage and not of fornication. But many human beings will have that in their, in their history just because of the nature of rape and wars and pillage and things like that. But the Prophet's... No, they didn't have, so we had to survive all that to get here. It's not just your parents. It's not just the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We're talking about thousands of years to get you here today. In Imam Ahmed's Musnad, it said, there's no soul except all the souls back to Adam and Eve in his lineage helped produce him. 
And so what? You just throw that out? You just annihilate that from the world like that? All those people that every mother that took care of her child in your ancestry to make sure that you didn't die, that gave their food when they were hungry to make sure you didn't die, like Aisha who saw the woman who was hungry and yet she gave the dates to her children and she went and told the Prophet ﷺ and he said Allah will, will forgive her just for that act of preferring her children over herself. Every mother that did that, Every father that worked to protect that family, to bring home the food, all these things. This is human life. You know, for that reason, we wrote over Bani Israel, Man qatara nafsan bi ghayri nafsin. Al fasadan fil ard. Ka'annama qatara nasa jami'an. It's as if you kill one soul, it's like you killed all of humanity. Because people don't understand what it took to bring a soul into existence. And you look now at how the shedding of blood, and this is what the angels ask God. Are you going to put in there what sows corruption and sheds blood? The best of the two Adams? Be like the best of two sons of Adam? If you raise your hand to me, I'm not going to raise my hand to you. I'm not going to do it. Why? I'm afraid of God. That's the best of the two sons of Adam. Imam Baghawi relates a narration that says, Sayyidina Uthman took that madhab. He sent the people home. He didn't want fitna. He didn't want bloodshed. He said, let them take my blood. I don't want Muslims to die over my blood. Let them kill me. That's what, that's what Uthman, he's on this madhab. They said he took the madhab of Ibn Adam. He sent Hassan and Hussein home. Sayyidina Ali sent Hassan and Hussein to protect him. He had protection. Abdullah ibn Salam got up on his roof and said, I was a Jew and I became Muslim. Wallahi, I saw this man sacrifice everything for the Messenger of Allah. And they said, get the Jew off the roof. This is the khawarij. Get the Jew off the roof. But Uthman, he was reading the Qur'an fasting. He didn't even lift his hand. He let them kill him. Because he didn't want to be the one that brings bloodshed into this ummah. That's when the fitness happens. Sayyidina Umar was the door that would protect from the bloodshed. But Uthman wasn't going to be the one. I'm not going to do this. But because his blood was shed, all the fitna starts in our ummah. The Prophet said, that's where it would start. He said, لا ترجعوا بعد كفارة يضربوا بعضكم رقابة بعض Don't become kuffar after I'm gone. You're killing each other. You know, this is our religion. واعتزموا بحبل الله جميعا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا وَاذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاءً Remember this blessing, you were, you were enemies and he brought you together. Look at the Muslims now killing each other, dropping bombs on each other. What is this? This isn't our religion. It has nothing to do with our religion. And that's what these ulama, they weren't tr- supporting tyrants. You know, people call Sheikh Abdullah Alim al-Tughat on these stupid uh, 
websites, all these brilliant scholars and geniuses on Facebook, writing their little comments, calling his ta'ziz al-sinf al-mujtama'at al-islamiyya, ta'ziz al-hukam al-tughat, supporting the evil rulers. Right? He just doesn't want Muslims shedding their blood. He said to me once, he said, I don't understand how these ulama can give these fatwas. How are they going to stand before Allah? Look at the doors of blood they're opening. And they're not out there. You don't see them out there fighting on the jabha. All these guys giving fatwa for suicide bombing. Right? They give their fatwas from their five-star hotels. Right? Seriously. Where's the ulama that are blowing themselves up? Because our Prophet fought. He was right there with his people fighting. Where are they? These guys writing these fatwas. Go and fight. Kill him and the blood is on me. Where are they? You show me where they are. You know, all these Palestinians going and blowing themselves up. And, and where, are, where are their ulama? Why aren't they doing... Oh, I'm more important. Okay, so now we're all bayadiqa. We're like the pawns in your shatranj. Your game of chess. You're the, you're the wazir. You're the queen. The faraz. You know, the Persians called it the faraz. You know, the Arab chess, the queen was the weakest of all the pieces. It was the French that let her loose. <laughs> Anyway, sorry about my screed. It's really very sad. Don't kill yourself. There's five opinions about this. Don't do something. Some action that will lead to your, your being killed. Don't do it. وَإِنْ كَانَ فَرْضًا Even if it's an obligation. وَعَلَى هَذَا تَأَوَّلَهَا عَمْرِ بِنَ الْعَاصِ فِي غَزْوَةِ السَّلَاسِلِ عَمْرِ بِنَ الْعَاصِ One of the five duhat of the Arabs. عَمْرِ بِنَ الْعَاصِ The Sahabi, whose son is very important in the Hadith tradition, Abdullah. He prayed, he was the Amir, and he, 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 he needed a ghusl, he needed a ritual bathing. And then the Sahaba, some of the people that were with him, they were upset about it, they went back to the Prophet and they said, Amr led us in prayer, and he was junub, because he did tayammum. So the Prophet called Amr and he said, Ya Amr, salat bi ashabi kuantu junub. Did you pray with your companions and you were junub? فَقَالِ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِنِّي أَحْتَلَمْتُ فِي لَيْلَةٍ بَارِدَةٍ وَأَشْفَقْتُ إِنَّ أَخْتَسَلْتُ أَنْ أَهْلِكَ I had a wet dream on, a, on a, a cold night and I was fearful that if I took a ghusl in that weather, I would, I would kill myself. فَذَكَرْتُ قَوْلُهُ تَعَالَى وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسُكُمْ I remembered Allah's words, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِكُمْ رَحِيمًا that Allah is merciful, don't kill yourselves. فَضَحِكَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ See, you all laughed. There's a sunnah to laugh hearing that. <laughs> so you followed the sunnah. The Prophet laughed. فَضَحِكَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَخْرَجُوا أَبُوْ دَاوُدْ وَأَحْمَدْ فَكَيْفَ يَصَحُوا Now Shaykh is saying, فَكَيْفَ يَصَحُوا حَمْلُ الْحَدِيثَ الَّذِي رَوَاهُ وَالْحَاكِمُ وَلَيْسَ فِي الصَّحِيحِينَ عَلَى أَنَّ الْآمِرَ كَانَ مُتَعَمِّدًا أَنْ يُقْتَلَ 
So let me ask you, how is it possible to take the hadith that Imam al-Hakim relates and it's not in the two sahih because Hakim tried to find the hadith that were sahih but not in the sahihain. That's why it's called al-mustadrak. It's trying to, yustadrikul ahadith, trying to find those hadith that weren't in the sahihain. Ala anna al-amira, that the one commanding, that he wants to be killed. He's referring to the hadith, أَفْضَرَ الشُّهَدَاءِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ حَمْزَةُ إِبْنَ عَبْدِ الْمُطَّرِبِ ثُمَّ رَجُلٌ قَامِ إِلَى حَاكِمٍ جَائِرًا فَأَمَرُهُ وَنَهَاهُ فَقُتِدَ أَخْرَجُ أَبُو نُعِيمٍ وَقَالَ الْهَيْثَمِ فِيهِ ضُعْفٍ وَلِهَذَا تَأَوَّرَهُ بَعْضُ الْعُلَمَاءِ عَلَى أَنَّهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ يَعْلَمُ أَنَّهُ سَيَقْتُلُهُ وَعَلَى أَنَّهُ قَالَ لَهُ ذَلِكَ سِرًّا so how can you say that that hadith is encouraging people to go kill themselves by speaking to a Sultan Ja'ir because it's the highest form of shahada. They understood it to mean that you go there not thinking he's going to kill you, but then he kills you, that's the highest shahada. And that's how they understood it. وَقَدْ أَخْرَجَ أَحْمَدْ وَبْنُ أَبِي عِصَامْ فِي كِتَابَ السُنَّةِ وَرِجَالُهُ الثِّقَاتِ so in the book of Sunnah, Ahmad relates, and uh, Ibn Abi Isam and, and the, the, the men of this chain are sound. And when you say men, it can include women in, in hadith tradition. Rijal refers simply to the, because it's the maqam. You know, it's like not every uh, male is a man, right? <laughs> really, it's a maqam. It, rajul is a maqam, and that's why the women have that maqam as well. Rijal qawamun ala nisa. Sometimes the woman is the rajul in that situation because she's taking care of the husband. This is how it was understood. It's it's a maqam. Rujula is a maqam. You know the 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 early people they said even the goat has a beard. It's not a beard that makes a man, huh? And it's certainly not lack of one that makes a woman like Bruce Jenner. <laughs> X and Y can't get out of that one. Right? Good luck. Right? Can't get out of that one. That's like tic-tac-toe. You'll lose every time. Right? If you've got that X chromosome in there, you've got to have two of them. <laughs> So he said, قَدْ أَخْرَجَ أَحْمَدُ وَإِبْنَ أَبِي عِصَامُ فِي كِتَابِ السُنَّةِ وَرِجَالُ الْثِقَاتِ كَمَا فِي مَجْمَعِ الزَّوَائِدِ عَنْ عِيَّاضِ إِبْنِ غَنْمٍ عَنْهُ عَلَيْهُ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ The Prophet said, مَنْ أَرَادَ أَنْ يَنْصَحْ لِذِي سُلْطَانٍ بِأَمْرٍ فَلَا يُبْدِلَهُ عَلَنِيَةً the Prophet ﷺ said, if you want to give advice to a ruler and command him, don't do it publicly, but rather take his hand, go to a private place with him and give it. If he accepts it, good for him. If he doesn't, you've done your obligation. Now you've got everybody shouting them down. Right? This, this is our tradition. قَدْ أَخْرَجْ And then, وَهَلْ مَا تَقُومُ بِهِ Now, Shaykh is asking a question. It's more of a rhetorical question. وَهَلْ وَهَلْ مَا تَقُومُ بِهِ وَالسَّائِلُ الْإِعْلَامُ 
من حث الناس على الخروج وتعريضهم بما فيهم النساء للإهانة والقتل هو المطلوب شرعا أم المطلوب هو الأخذ بالآدب الشرعية في النصح والنظر في المآلات قال الإمام أحمد في جوابه لإسحاق بن هانئ وقد سأله متى يجب على الرجل الأمر بالمعروف والنهي عن المنكر ليس هذا زمان نهيا إذا غيرت برسانك فإن لم تستطع فبقلبك وهو أضعف الإيمان ولا تتعرض للسلطان فإن سيفه مسلول وفي رواية أخرى يجب الأمر إذا لم تخاف سيفا ولا عصا It's amazing. Uh, this, this is Tanbih al-Maraja, reminding people of our tradition, that these are our reference points. These people are our reference points. He said that, is what these media outlets are doing, we won't name them, right? Like Fox News. <laughs> There's Arab versions of Fox News too, right? Is what these media outlets are doing, encouraging people to go out and expose themselves, including their women, to being humiliated and even killed? Is this what's expected of our sharia? This is our religion? Or should we be taking these adab al-shari'a, these traditions that we have from our ulama of how to do these things, is this what we should be doing from giving good advice and thinking about what the results of these actions are going to lead to. This is called nadhar lil-ma'alat. And this is what the Usuri scholar does. قال الإمام أحمد في جوابه لإسحاق بن هاني إمام أحمد said answering إسحاق بن هاني another great scholar and he asked him when is it necessary for a man to command good because كنتم خير أمة أخرجت للناس تأمرون بالمعروف وتنهون عن المنكر وتؤمنون بالله this was what made us the best أمة أمر بالمعروف نهي عن المنكر أن إيمان فلتكم منكم أمة يدعون إلى الخير let there be amongst you Uh, 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 an ummah that does this work and that's for tab'id because it's the ulama that are supposed to do it that's the majority opinion so he's saying when do we do that and what did Imam Ahmad say this isn't the time to do the nahi with the hand in other words at the time of the sahaba like Sayyidina Omar who will challenge me the man got up we will because at that time They were all scholars, they were all with the Prophet, they knew the right and wrong. You could do that, the fitna wouldn't have been. He was glad, he was testing them. People think that's for every time and place. He said, that's not this time. If you're doing it with your tongue, that's enough. And if you can't do that, at least do it with your heart. So even the tongue, there's times to be silent. And then what does he say? That's the weakest of Iman. Don't expose yourselves to the Sultan because his sword is unsheathed. In other words, he's got the power. He'll just annihilate you. This is a time when everybody had a sword. He's talking about a time when every Muslim male had a weapon. Spears and arrows. He's not talking about a time when they've got F-16s or nuclear weapons. Or neutron bombs. And people say, oh, what, are you afraid of death? No. We don't throw away our lives. Sabahlala. For no reason. Our goal is not martyrdom without any benefit. It's one of the two benefits. 
Victory or martyrdom. When you go into war, you want people ready to die. You don't want cowards. You want them to run off the field. Those hadiths are there to encourage people when they're confronted with war. But there's times when you don't fight because it's just suicide. And, and despite all these suicide bombers, our religion does not allow suicide. If you kill yourself, you're in hell. Suicide is haram in Islam. People say, what about the man that went over on the catapult? He put pillows all over himself to protect himself. And then he lived. He didn't die. They always use that as the, as the proof for suicide bombing. And he lived. He opened the door, let the Muslims in. He survived. <laughs> it's permitted to, in ghimas fil adu is permitted. You can, you can rush in to protect Muslims. You can rush in with the probability of dying. That's permitted. And many of the ulama mentioned that. But you can't be the agent of your own destruction. You can't push the button that kills you. It's somebody else has to kill you. And you're doing it for a greater good. To protect other people. Even, even the Americans recognize that. Most of the Congressional Medal of Honors are given to people that killed themselves to save others. Like if, if there's 20 men and they throw in a grenade, in, in, there are many Marines that have thrown their body on that grenade to protect the others. The West honors that by giving them the highest medal of honor for courage. He sacrificed his life for others. There's nothing wrong with that. But to kill people indiscriminately and to, and to be the agent of your own destruction, that's not in our religion. Because the grenade's there, he knows he's going to die when it goes off, but he chooses to be the only one that dies to save the others. And that's what's permitted. It's not this other thing. Yeah, I had a debate with one of, a well-known scholar from the Arab world. And we had actually a pretty heated debate. And I don't like to have heated debates, but it got pretty heated about suicide bombs. It was about 10 years ago. And I told him, I've always been against it. I've never, and not because I'm from California or I grew up in a liberal family or something like that. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I literally told him, if this is Islam, then I'm in the wrong religion. If, if this is Islam, because it goes against everything that I was taught about human decency. You know, and I just can't believe that this is Islam. He said to me uh, last month, we were, I was with Sheikh Abdullah, we visited him. And he said, you know, I had a debate with, with Sheikh Hamza about 10 years ago. It took me 10 years to realize that I think he's right. And I had the similar debate with Sheikh Abdullah, and I would, I mean, his knowledge is so much vaster than mine, you know, but we, we, we discussed it in depth for a long time about this. You know, all the Mauritanian scholars that I know were opposed to it. And the early ulama, when it first showed up, you look at the original fatwas, all the ulama were against it. I don't know what happened. We got smarter ulama. <laughs> You know, and part of it, if we're honest about it, 
It's this thing when you're defeated by an enemy. It's like they love life, but we're not afraid of death. And it's kind of how we one-up them. You know, you can't do this. You can take our land. You can control us. But man, you guys, you love life. You won't do this. Look at us. You know. And نَهَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ The Prophet prohibited mutilating a non-Muslim's body. What is blowing up yourself other than mutilating your own body? It's not permitted to mutilate bodies in war. You're not supposed to mutilate bodies. And that, that to me is a pure mutilation. And then they use المحضرات, you know, necessities permit the impermissible. Go, go with Machiavelli's religion. Necessity, all things are permitted under that rule of necessity. The, the end justifies the means. It's not Islam, as far as I can tell. So then he says, لَيْسَ هَذَا الزَّمَانٍ If you change it with your tongue or with your heart, and that's because of iman, don't expose yourself. Because his, he has a sword that's unsheathed. And in another riwayah, in another transmission, يَجِبُ الْأَمْرُ إِذَا لَمْ تَخَفْ سَيْفًا وَالْعَصَى it's, you, you, it's obligation for you to do it as a scholar if you're not afraid of the sword, death, or asa, torture. Bastinado, what they used to call the bastinado. You know, the, the Muslims, for some reason, they like that. They used to use it beating the, the, the soles of feet. It, it's very painful. They, do it, they did it in, uh, in those CIA, horrible CIA torture chambers. You know, they would beat the heel. Because it's very sensitive. You have all the... the I once, um, my sandals got stolen. I was in Tunisia. And somebody had one of those, uh, these sandals that have all these little points on them. They're like acupressure sandals. And, and, and I, as I, he said, I've only got these. I can loan you these. I said, okay. So, you know, I didn't know you're only supposed to use them for like five minutes. And I walked in them. I, for like days, my feet hurt after that because I walked in them all day. <laughs> Uh, but my kidneys and liver were cleansed by the <laughs> So, فَإِذَا كَانَ هَذَا هُوَ مَوْقِفْ إِبْنِ عَبَّاسِ وَأَحْمَدِ وَالْكَثِيرِ مِنَ الْعُلَمَاءِ فِي عَدْمِ جَوَازِ تَعْرِيضَ النَّفْسِ لِلْقَتِلِ وَالْأَذَى الْجَسِدِ So, here we can see this is the position of Ibn Abbas, Tarjuman al-Qur'an, the translator of the Qur'an. This is the opinion of Ahmed, Imam al-Sunnati wal-Jama'ah. He's, the imam, he's called Imam Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah. That's his laqab. He's the Imam of the people of Sunnah and Jama'ah. This is mostly from his madhab. Abu Ya'la ibn al Farra, al Khalal. These are all Hanbalis. And he's called, called the Imam of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Nobody hates uh, Ahmad other than a Mubtada'. Like Malik is, is, is uh, Imam Ahl al Medina. That's his sharaf. That he's the Imam of the people of Medina. Imam Shafi'i is his sharaf is he's the Imam of Quraysh, right? Quraysh has siyada in our tradition, and Abu Hanif is Imam Al Azam. He's the greatest of the Imam. They all have their place because he got the most of followers. He's going to have the biggest group behind him on Yom Qiyamah. Abu Hanif They're all kulluhum al haq but that's his laqab, Ahmad, and this is his position. So the Shaykh, who is an Usuli genius, 
Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayyah, he said, if you want the category of the action, because every action in Islam is categorized. If you want the hukum of what protest is, when you go out in mudaharats, the hukum is Amr bin Ma'ruf and Nahi an al-Munkar. It is, you're enjoining right and forbidding evil. If it's peaceful, that's the ruling. Therefore, it has those five conditions. In America, you can do it. You're not gonna, they're not gonna shoot you or <laughs> gun you down, thank God. Not yet, anyway. And some places, unfortunately, they do. But, uh, you know, if you're in Australia, you can do it. But there's a way to do it legally. You have to get the permits and do it the way they ask you to do it. Because it's, you're permitted to petition the government for a redress of wrongs in, in, in Western constitutional law. Right? You can do it in England. But in some Muslim countries, they know if you do it, the ruler's gonna blow you away. What's the hukum then? This, this is, this needs real ulama. That's why Sheikh Saeed, the Usuri scholar of Damascus, he gave his opinions. People say, oh, he's Alim Tughat, scholar of the, He's, he said on television, I'm almost dead. Yeah, I have one foot in the grave. He was in his mid-80s. He said, I've got one foot in the grave. What, what do I benefit from this? By giving you this advice. Tell me, what's the benefit? He lived in a small apartment. He didn't have a television. He was a Zahid. I mean, I knew him personally. You know, I spent time with him. Maybe he did some things wrong. You know, maybe he said some things that were better left unsaid. We don't know the conditions he was under. We don't know what he was being threatened by the regime. I have a good opinion of scholars, but I know that he was not a sellout. I know that. And nobody can convince me otherwise. So, فَهَلْ يَجُوزُ لِلْمُفْتِي أَنْ يُفْتِيَهُمْ بِالْخُرُوجِ فِي الْمُظَاهَرَاتِ مَعَ الْعِلْمِ لِحْتِمَالِ ذَهَبِ نُفُوسِهِمْ أَوْ إِصَابَتِهِمْ فِي التَّظَاهُرِ دُونَ أَنْ يَكُونَ مُتَحَمِّلًا إِثْمًا وَلَا مُرْتَكِبَ إِثْمًا ذَنْبًا So let me ask you, Shaykh Abdullah is saying, let me ask you, is it permissible for the mufti to give a fatwa to tell people go out and protest when he knows the probability of them losing their lives? And, and being uh, shot or hit in, in that protest without this mufti carrying the sin of that? وَشُرُوطُ وُجُوبِ إِنْكَارَ الْمُنْكَرَ خَمْسَ عِنْدَ الْقَاضِي أَبُوْ يَعْلَى إِبْنَ الْفَرَّى كَشُرُوطَ السَّابِقَةِ And Abu Ya'la, the Hanbali, great Hanbali scholar, he also had five, except one of his conditions, إِلَّا أَنْهُ ذَكَرَ شَرْطِ إِسْتِمْرَارَ الْوَقُوعِ فِي الْمُنْكَرِ فَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ مُسْتَمِرَّ عَلَيْهِ لَمْ يَجِبَ الْإِنْكَارِ His condition was, if the munkar would self-resolve, like you have a sickness, you have self-resolving sicknesses, the doctors say, don't treat it. Just go home, drink lots of fluid, and wait till it's over. He doesn't want to give you antibiotics. Why waste the antibiotics on something that's, that's going to self-resolve and it's, it's not going to benefit you? So that's the same thing. If you have a fitna that's self-resolving, and just leave it until it, it, it ends. So that's one of his conditions. But if he can end it with an easier way, then it becomes an obligation. So if he's going to harm himself, he's 
He's from the ummah, but he's from that first group, maghfurun lahu, it's sinfulness. He's valimun nafsi, he's oppressing his own soul. And if it's gonna harm the one he's condemning, he's valim lahu kadarika. So, wal Especially if it's going to cause this ummah a great wound. And what greater wound than destroying the infrastructure of a people's land? I mean, what greater wound than, than destroying their water, destroying their sewage systems, destroying their homes, let alone destroying their, their lives? Walhaqiqa, the reality. Anna al-faqiha. Now this is Shaykh Abdullah. Al-ana. يَلْحَقُ بِالثَّوْرَاتِ بَعْدِ اشْتِعَالَ السَّحَةِ لِيَلْعَنَ فِي الْغَالِبِ الظَّالِمَةِ وَلَكَنْ دُونَ أَنْ يُعَالِجِ الْمَظْلُومَةِ We see the faqih now, that when these revolutions begin, he gets out there with them, and he's cursing the ruler with them. But, has he actually changed the condition of the oppressed? Has he done anything to make their condition better? وَلَا أَنْ يُدَاوِيَ الْمَكْلُومِ Has he treated the wounded? Maybe he's even increased his wound and made the oppression worse. He's encouraging him on a road that has no end of bloodshed. فَقَدْ كَانَ الْعُلَمَاءِ يَمْنَعُونَ الْعَامَّةَ مِنْ حَمَلَ السِّلَاحِ وَيَكْتَفُونَ بِالْوَعَضِ The early ulama used to tell the general people, don't carry swords against them. And they would exhort, وَيَأْمُرُونَ الْعَامَّةَ بِالْإِنْكَارِ بِالْقَلْبِ They would tell the common people to condemn these things with their hearts. According to the hadith, وَإِلَيْكَ هَذِي الْحِكَايَةِ يَقُولُ قَاضِ أَبُوْ يَعَلَى بِنَ فَصْلٌ فِي وُجُوبِ الْإِنْكَارِ عَلَى السُلْطَانِ إِذَا غَصَبَ وَعَطَّلَ الْحُدُودَ وَضَرَبَ الْأَبْشَارَ وَاسْتَأْثَرَ بِأَمْوَالِ الْفَيْءِ وَالْغَنَائِمِ وَالْأَعْشَارِ فَإِنَّهُ يَجِبُ وَعَضَهُ وَتَخْوِيفُهُ بِاللَّهِ تَعَالَى فَأَمَّا بِالْقِتَالِ فَإِمَّا بِالْقِتَالِ لَهُ فَأَمَّا بِالْقِتَالِ لَهُ وَشَهْرُ السِّلَاحِ عَلَيْهِ فَلَا يَجُوزُ ذَلِكَ وَقَدْ نَصَّ أَحْمَدُ عَلَى هَذَا فِي رِوَايَةِ حَنْبَلٍ قَالَ اجتمع فقهاء بغداد في ولاية الواثق إلى أن إلى أبي عبد الله وقالوا إن هذا الأمير قد تفاقم وفشى يعنون إظهار القول بخلق القرآن وغير ذلك فلا نرضى بامرأته ولا سلطانه فناظرهم في ذلك وقال عليكم بالنكرة بقلوبكم ولا تخلعوا يدا من طاعة ولا تشقوا عصى المسلمين ولا تسفكوا دماءهم ودماء المسلمين دماءكم ودماء المسلمين معكم وانظروا في عاقبة أمركم واصبروا حتى يستريح بر أو يستراح منه فاجر It's an amazing uh, story So he says that uh, Ahmed bin Hanbal Abu Abu Ya'la ibn al-Farra tells a story in 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 his wujub al-inkar ala sultan, the obligation of condemning a ruler for his injustice. If he steals the wealth of the people, if he's not implementing uh, the laws of the land, atal al-hudud, the hudud of the Sharia, penal codes, and things like that. Wadarab al-abshar, he's he's harming people, striking uh, the humans. Wustathara bi amwal al-fayi wal ghanaimi wal ashar, and then he's he's uh, he's uh, absconding with the wealth. Of the uh, of the populace, he's illegitimately taking, embezzling the public funds. فَإِنَّهُ يَجْبُ وَعْضُهُ وَتَخْوِيفُهُ بِاللَّهِ 
In that case, it's an obligation to warn him, just like Mustafa Sabri said, warn these people. The revolution's coming. Even though our religion protects you from revolution, if you keep this up, it's going to come whether you like it or not. Even if the people try not to do it, it'll come. Warn them. فَأَمَّا بِالْقِتَالِ لَهُ وَشَهْرُ As for fighting them, for pulling out weapons and opposing them, that's not permitted. وَقَدْ نَصَّ أَحْمَدُ عَلَى هَذَا فِي رِوَايَةِ حَمْبَدِ And Imam Ahmad relates this riwayah from the riwayah of Hanbal. He said, the, the jurists of Baghdad got together. Now imagine this. This is Baghdad at the time of Ahmed ibn Hanbal. These are some of the greatest ulama in the whole Muslim ummah. Baghdad. At the time of al wathiq Billah, who said that Quran, this was the Mu'tazidite, were ruling the ummah. They got together with Abi Abdullah. His name was Abu Abdullah. His son was Abdullah ibn Ahmed, who did the Zawaid al Musnad. His son was a great scholar as well. So he was called Abu Abdullah. They got together with Ahmed ibn Hanbal, who was the, the, the he, they recognized him as the greatest scholar then. And he said, He's doing really, really dangerous, momentous things. Wafesha, it's spreading amongst the people. And he meant by that the saying the Quran was created and other things. We don't accept his uh, imra. His ruler, his imara, the fact that he's amir. We don't accept it. And we don't give him any authority. He debated with them. Nadara is theoretical debate, like looking at proofs and delils. He reasoned with them. What did he say? Rejected in your hearts what he's doing. Don't remove the hand of, of ta'a. The obedience to the ruler. This is what Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayyid calls Ta'atul Ihtimal. Sheikh Abdullah Yufasiru Bain Ata'ati. Yaquru Ata'afil Hadith. Ida Nandru Lin Nasus. Hunaka Ta'atani Fil Hadith. Ta'atul Ihtimal. Wa Ta'atul Imtithal. One of them is the Ta'a of, obey, of obeying the rulers and what they tell us. So if the ruler says, go build a road there, we build the road. Because Sharia says that, you know. You should help the society. You need a road. The sultan says, build a road. The sultan says, we're introducing uh, lights into the society. You know, the traffic lights. There's nothing in sharia about traffic lights. Nothing in the Quran that says, you know, لا تقفو بالإشارة الخضراء. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't stop with the, uh, you know, لا تقفو بالإشارة الخضراء وقفو بالإشارة الحمراء. Nothing in the Quran says, stop at a, green, a red light, go at a green light. But it's maslaha, it's a human benefit. So if the Amir says, you have to stop at a red light, and you have to go at the green light, it becomes wajib. If you're going to drive, you have to obey the law. If you run the red light, it's a sin. That's ba'atul imtithal. When it's consistent with the sharia, why? Because those red lights and green lights are there to preserve the safety of the people driving. And that's a maslaha. And the sharia calls to maslaha. Don't destroy yourselves by running red lights. Right? I mean, it doesn't literally say that, but that's, we could qiyasim, you know, by understanding it. So, so those are the two obediences. So he said, don't disobey them. This is called ta'a salbiya. It's a negative obedience. 
Don't rebel against them. He's telling the ulama, وَلَا تَشُقُوا عَصَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ Don't split the unity of the Muslims. You know, Syria was a, a, a country under an oppressive regime, undeniably, but most, the vast majority of Syrians, were living in relative peace, and, and it was safe to go out at night in Damascus. The Libyans were living under a tyrant. I'm not going to deny he was a tyrant, but there was Amman. You could go out any time of the day or night, and you didn't fear for your life. Right? These are great blessings. Remember we read that uh, that a little bit of sinfulness in light of a lot of sinfulness is a great good. Right? So even though these are... Ty- what, what's the benefit of overthrowing them when you're going to create mass chaos? Our ulama said, Sultanun Rashum, min fitnatin tadum, that a, a tyrant is better than fitna that never ends. This is what our ulama said. So don't wala tasfiku dima'ahum wa dima' al-Muslimin ma'akum. Don't don't shed your blood and the blood of the Muslims with you. Wandru fi aqibati amrihim. Think about where this thing is going. Wasbiru hatta yastariha barrun aw yustaraha minhu fajr. So be patient until you either get relief, right? Or the one who's giving you the problems dies, and you get relief from that. It's from the hadith in al-Bukhari. Now, the, to end, he, he gives a, uh, a, a, from Malik radiallahu Malik was very, very, he lived through revolutions, he never joined them. There was a revolution in Medina, Muhammad Nafs Zakiya. They called him Nafs Zakiya. That's not his name. He was so pure that they gave him that laqab. He was a direct descendant of the Prophet. He rebelled against uh, the rulers and established a state in Medina for 18 months. Malik never took bayah with him. Now, you're telling me these guys are better than, you know, go take bayah with Daesh? He didn't take bayah with Muhammad Nafsa Zakiya, and you're going to go take bayah with, Muhammad, with Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? Malikum kifa tahkumun. Malik. Because he knew this guy is not going to last, and I'm not going to be part of this. He never took bayah with him. Even though he was a righteous man, and what he was doing was from the impulse of khair, to make good. So Imam Malik had a teacher... Abdurrahman ibn Hurmuz in Medina. And, and this is a tradition that Qadha Iyad relates fi tartib al-madarik. Mufaduha, you know, the benefit of this, anna shaykhuhu Abdurrahman ibn Hurmuz, ankar ala rajalim min ahl al-aqdar, min ahl al-makana, al-qadr, yani kan andu qadr, bayna al-nas, not qadriya, like the sect. فَهُوَ أَنْكَرَ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أَهْلَ الْأَقْدَارِ لِأَنُّ كَانَ يُكَلِّمُ إِمْرَأَةٍ أَمَامَ بَيْتِهِ He was speaking to a, a woman in front of his house in Medina. In those days, the urf, that would, would have been inappropriate. So, أَنْكَرَ عَلَيْهِ مَعَهُ حَشَمُهُ وَمَوَالِي He had his retinue and his... He was wealthy man. He had his retinue and his servants. فَأَمَرَ مَوَالِيهُ أَنْ يَضْرِبْ إِبْنْ so he commanded his, uh, his servants to go beat up Ibn Hurmuz. They beat him up. This is one of the big ulama of Medina. He was Malik's teacher. When Nas Atau, he was 
هذا الرجل وانظر الى ما فعل بي وكلهم دعوا له يدعون له بالشفاء والعافيه امام مالك كان ساكتا Malik didn't say anything. So they're all saying, oh, you poor man, it's unjust, ya sheikh, ya imam, it's unjust what they did. Imam Malik sakit. Ibn Hormuz looks at Imam Malik and, 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 and he says, uh, Imam Malik says to him, inna hadha lam yukun lak. He asked him, you know, why are you silent? He said, you didn't have any right to do that. He's doing munkar, inkar al-munkar. And this is his student. Telling him, he said, "Inna hada lam yukun laka taati ila rajulan min ahl al qadri ala babi darihi wa maghu hashamuhu wa mawali." You go to a man in front of his house, in front of his retinue, all the people that you know, and, and his servants, and you humiliate him. فقال ابن هرمز فترى أني أخطأت. Do you think I made a mistake? Ayyuallah. <laughs> Malik said, Ayyuallah. You know, like, most definitely by Allah, you made a mistake. That, this is wisdom. And it's not to say, look at the ulama, they want good. But they're not, they're not fools. Anyway. There you have it. That, that's the position of, of our sunnah of our ulama, this is what they have traditionally taught. And I know the tradition's in trouble. We have all these uh, people that, you know, it's a mess. But we should do our best to, to, to learn this tradition and be guided by it and not do foolish things that end up... And trust me, just like Mustafa Sabri said, there are people wanting our downfall and our destruction. There are demonic forces on this planet that do not want religion to succeed in, in all of its variations. They want to get rid of religion, you know, Christianity, Judaism, all of it. They just want it out. And that's why religious people have a moral responsibility to be intelligent. Because the, the thing they always use against us is how stupid we are. And man, do we confirm that uh, stereotype too often. Subhanakum wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiru wa atubu ilayk. I'll try to just quickly... If the US, uh, in the U.S., blacks are being oppressed. I mean, not all blacks are being oppressed. You know, there is a history of racism in the United States. There are many successful African Americans in the United States. But nobody talks about the Native American people. I mean, <laughs> the Native Americans, it was their land. The African Americans were brought to America unjustly. The Native Americans, it was their land. They're on reservations now. Right? So, you know, a lot of people have been oppressed in America. Chinese Americans went through their period. Irish Americans went through Catholic Irish Americans, not, not Protestant Irish. Catholic Irish Americans. Because the Protestants, the Ulster Plantation, if you know that history, uh, Andrew Jackson was a Protestant Irishman. He's the real first Irish president. But Kennedy was an Irish Catholic. In 1959-60, they were calling him, you know, like saying that it was, they didn't want an Irish president. That was one of the arguments against him, when he was an Irish Catholic. You know? So the Irish uh, had a hard time in the United States for a long time. They, they were looked at as subhuman, classified. Um, in some areas, they were lower. They were literally the lowest on the totem pole. So I, I have a... 
I have, I'm very wary of race determining how we identify these problems. I am much more in support of jahiliya and, and ilm, that there is a, a, a jahil system in place on this planet that says some people are better than other people. It's not about the color of the skin. The Turks, a lot of them are as white as the moon. So their whiteness is not going to give them any kind of ontological status because they're Turks. So if you want to get your white people right, you know, there's groups called the Anglo-Saxon, the, the, the Franks, the Saxons, you know. These are, you know, get your white people right. You want to study about history and oppression? Read Irish history. White is the moon. Read Welsh history. White is the moon. And look what the English did to them. 800 years. Irish oppression. 800 years. They don't speak Gaelic because they cut out their tongues during historical periods for speaking Gaelic. So there's a lot of oppression. Everybody has their uh, oppression narratives. You know? But the Prophet Isam. When, when Abu Dhar, عنه, the great Abu Dhar, the Sahabi Abu Dhar, the Ghifari, from one of the lower tribes amongst the Arabs, they were looked down upon, Bani Ghifar. When Abu Dhar called Bilal al-Habishi, Ya bin Sauda, which is like saying the N-word to the Arabs at that time. You know, it was a humiliating say. The Prophet didn't say, Ya Unsari, you're a racist. He said, Abu Dhar, anta imrun fik al-jahiliya. You're a man that still has some jahiliya in him. We need to work on that. So don't alienate people by creating this race war between whites and blacks. It's, 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 it's very dangerous. This, this is what Iblis does. These narratives are Iblisic narratives. Now you've got blacks, their films, you know there was a film called 12 Years a Slave. If, if I was African American and I saw that film, I would just hate white people for the rest of my life. When I, I wanted to find out who made that film, he was one of the heads of the Israeli intelligence agency, which I find very weird. I think there's people that want race wars on this planet, and, and they're minions of shaitan, because shaitan wants us to fight each other. I was raised by a woman that had, she just didn't have any racism. People that know my mom know my mother. My mother didn't have any racism. She never, she raised us to hate that, of judging people by, uh, their skin. She was in the civil rights movement very early on, and I was taught that human beings' color makes no distinction. People are, should be distinguished by their character, which is, that's what King was asking for, judge us by the, not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. That's the criteria of Islam. So if you're going to demonize white people, or say the white supremacy power structure, and use these terms of critical theory, which is Marxism, if you're going to use those terms, for me, it's a dangerous road for the Muslims to go down. I'm very opposed to it, personally. And I appreciate people can say, well, that's because you're white or something like that. I've never considered myself white. I consider myself a human being, first and foremost. I don't consider myself white. You know, if you want, I'll get that spray paint and paint it another color. I could care less, you know. I know it's not easy to be brown in a lot of places. But it's also not easy to be uh, an Igbo vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Fulani in Nigeria. So it's not always about skin. It's not easy to be uh, a Zahrani in Saudi Arabia vis-a-vis -vis other tribes. It's not easy to be uh, you know, a Bedouin uh, in, in a lot of Muslim countries today. It's not easy to be a Hartani in Mauritania. You know? 
It's not easy to be a Zanagi in relation to the Zawaya in Mauritania. They're same Arab tribes, but one of them is the Brahman and the other is uh, the Kishtriya, like the Hindu kind of category. So we have these tribulations all over the world. You know, the Europeans have been the best racists ever. You know, they've been the best at it, but it's a human problem. The Pakistanis have it. You know, Balushis have it, right? The Patans have it vis-a-vis the, the Punjabis, right? The Mohajirs have it vis-a-vis the natives, right? I, people from Kerala have it vis-a-vis the... You know, seriously, I mean, if you're in India, the Kerala, man, they, those guys have a hard time. If you're from Kerala, and they're the nicest people in India. I've never met nicer people than people from Kerala. Bengalis are some of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. They're gentle people. Man, have they had a hard time? Read the history of East Pakistan and the massacres that happened against the Bengalis. So if you want to start talking about oppression, you know, it's, it's like Gandhi said. If you want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you're going to have a, a blind and a toothless planet. If that's going to be, you know, our prophet taught us to try to forgive to move beyond, he didn't even allow, you know, people com- commemorate, like you have Holocaust commemorations, and you have all these commemorations, like the Nakba in Palestine, you're remembering always these events. The Prophet prohibited that. The Yom Bu'ath was a day they would, re- the Ansar, the Aus and the Khajwaj used to remember the, the Bu'ath war between the two of them. They used to commemorate it. And they would get out and they would say their poetry. Those events would always lead to fighting. And the Prophet forbade it. Because he was trying to unite people. You know, that, that, this is the point. We, w- we want to unite hearts. And that's not to deny that there's a real problem of, of, of color. Uh, I'm not denying that at all. I just think that we should frame these things within our own tradition and not allow others to define our cognitive frames, to use a Dr. Omar term. I mean, he didn't invent that, but he likes that one. Alhamdulillah. Subhanakallah. Alhamdulillah. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Jazakumullah.